tonight and if someone would have a need maybe they'd lift it with an uplifted hand maybe there's something that you've struggled with or maybe there's even iniquity in your heart like brother Max mentioned or maybe there's something that you want to take care of tonight God's here to meet your need Lord God we just come into your presence Lord how we see you moving already Lord in this service Lord from the songs to the sword drill to now Lord we just want to come and lay our gifts down at the altar Lord Lay our hearts open and bare, Lord, that you'd anoint the speaker and you'd anoint the hearer, Lord, that you would come and move. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. Thank you for bringing us here safely. Lord, thank you for bringing us here during all the times where the world is upside down. But Lord, you have a group of young people that's committed to, to your cause, that wants to serve you with all of their heart, oh God. And I just pray that you could come and you could meet with us tonight. We thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Tony. Thanks for the song service. Thank you to the musicians. I wonder if we could turn to the book of Jeremiah. We'll go right to Jeremiah chapter 18, Sister Ruth. Welcome you all to the house of the Lord. How many is happy to be in church tonight? Amen. I want to welcome, uh, I think, two new young people we have, Sister Abigail here and Sister Alua here. Welcome to young peoples. I hope you feel welcome. And I think we have a visitor as well, Sister Priscilla, welcome. Uh, I, Brother Max, that was really good. How many enjoyed that tonight? Amen. Laid out such a clear answer. And, you know, it was amazing. I wish that you were here to just take my notes and keep going, genuinely, because it was just such a perfect foundation for where we're going. I'll tell you the title right off the bat, and it, it fits so well with where you spent in sin and iniquity and some of those things. And the, the title I have tonight is A Rededication to Fight. I want to talk about how we need to spend time looking at where we're at and where we've been and where we can get to, sometimes numb, and the iniquity is what makes you really cold. And to say, let's rebuild and let's fight like we've never fought before because our God is here for us. Amen. Jeremiah 18. The word which came, 18 verse 1, sorry. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there will I cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. That's us. We're the clay. And many times he'll take us through situations and different things, and we're on his wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand. Whose hand are we in? The loving hand of Jesus Christ. Not the one that wants to break us for destruction, but to break us for something better. So are ye in my hand, O house of Israel, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a nation. And here he lays out a process that actually was given to Jeremiah right at the beginning of his calling to be a prophet. 
It was called that God told him that he would be there to pluck up, to pull down and to destroy and then to build and to plant, I think was the process. But there was a tearing down and a building up. And he says that of that nation that was evil, I'll tear it down, I'll pluck it, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it down. And if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. If in that moment of brokenness and when the, the vessel was broken and thrown on the ground and marred, they choose to turn back to me, at that instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. Psalms 18.37. This is a verse that I've had on my phone screen for the last maybe month and a half. And I just love it because it's, um, it's aggressive against the enemy. It shows no mercy against the devil. It's something that is relentless. It fights. And I'll, I'll, I'll wait till you get there. I, this is such a verse that jumped out at me, and I, I, I hope I live this. I don't think I have all the time. It says this, I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. No mercy on the devil. Amen. No mercy on the devil. Amen. God bless you. You can have your seats. My title tonight is A Rededication to Fight, and, and, and my approach many times with anything like this, anytime I've been asked to talk for young peoples, is I found that it, I have to look back at what I've went through in my own life. So anything I say tonight, pretty much anything across the board, will have been something that I've probably lived through, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So know that I'm not looking at anyone other than I, I lived it, I went through it. But I also know that God can bring you out of it. God can bring you through a lot of crazy things, a lot of wrong things, and let you maybe go through it even for a time, but he's there to pull you out of it. And it's not his will for you to stay there. I want to call on us as young people, examine our lives and see if perhaps we haven't gotten cold or away in iniquity or those things. But I want to say that God is calling us to rededicate and to fight. And it's just around the corner. I want to say that too. It doesn't take a lot of time or effort. Sometimes we think, oh, it's got to take all night. Maybe it might. But it might not. It might take you 15 minutes in the presence of God to turn your whole life around. It just depends on your attitude and your heart and your repentance. How many believes that in this generation God has promised a revival for young people? God has promised that a people in our day, there'll be people in the rapture, I believe that'll be 13 years old. I believe there'll be people in the rapture that will be younger than 13 years old. Except we accept the kingdom of heaven with the faith of a child. So they have a leg up on us. They're still simple. They're still innocent. They just believe. But we get complicated. But there will be a group of young people that will have a revival. Brother Branham says in the end time sign seed, each generation gets its time. Did you ever notice there will be a man of God that will come along that will strike fire with God and a great revival will sweep across the land. And what happens? Immediately after they take that man's idea and denominate it, they bring in creeds and mix with it. And what happens is this cycle of revival and death. Revival and death. But each generation, this is a promise now, each generation, what does it get? It's opportunity at the fresh word of God. We've been raised in this message and our parents have had their revival. Their grandparents maybe have had their revival. But you can have a revival too. Something that burns out all the sin, all, all the scars and complexes. We'll have memories and scars. But God rides above it all and takes us on a different road entirely. On a different path entirely. 
but what happens normally, what those men do, they, they, they'll denominate it, they'll have their own ideas. But I want to say this, there will be a group of young people. This might go on. What if it goes on 20 years? They'll, they'll be preachers, they'll be song leaders, but there'll never be a time where the group of young people come together around the world and make a denomination or an organization to make this stand because God's power and his life is in it. And it can't denominate. It can't stop and it can't organize. This eve will not fall. We're called to live as overcomers in this age. This quote jumped out at me from the breach between the seven church ages and the seven seals. When a man has been redeemed, he don't care anymore for scholarship. He don't care any, for any more of the things of the world, the wisdom of the world. He don't want no choice at all. We want to be able to give up our choice. God, Christ has been his choice, and that's all of it. He is redeemed. He just wants no more to lead himself. He don't want anyone to talk him into where to go and what to do. He just waits to find out the choice of his maker. See, then he goes in the name of his maker when the maker tells him to go. But the thing is this, and I'm going to have to spend a little bit of time in this area for a while. In ourselves as Christians, I see young people I can see in two scenarios many times. I believe, I'm sure if we've been raised in the church and if we've gone to Sunday school, at some point, God would have struck your heart. I believe at some point, even young, before young people's ever, there'd be a moment where you'd start to turn to God. I just would believe that. It might not be. But what happens is there can be two different ways you might go for a while. It might be that you have a good camp meeting as young people or a good service where the evangelist comes or we spent time at an altar. But then we start to drift back and get a little cool. And we start to kind of let other things in. We let iniquity in. We let things that we know we shouldn't do or know we should do, and we do the opposite thing. We can get to a spot where it doesn't affect us anymore. We get cold, sometimes lukewarm, or sometimes stone cold. And the presence of God doesn't have the same effect that it used to have. Our heart is hard. Our flesh is hard. We don't even, we, we, it's like you feel, I can imagine, describing it how maybe I felt, you feel the presence all on your skin in a sense, but it's not penetrating at all. It doesn't penetrate. And even, I'll say other times where you want it to penetrate, or you're even in church and you're trying to let it penetrate, but you go back and live the same life. This is what I've done. But you go back and you live the same life, and you don't let it really do something. We can get relaxed. Another scenario, frankly, can be we can just get really, really cold and really, really backslidden, where we don't care anymore. We can come to church. I've seen it. We're coming up to communion. This is a good time to rededicate. I've seen it myself where I would live one way and, oh, it's Saturday night before communion. Let's repent. It's not a good way to live. It's not the right way to do it. But we can get so cold and so distant and so far away where nothing affects us and we don't want anything to affect us. No matter what path you're on, we all hit a spot where we've met God and where God has done something and where God's begun to work on your heart. But we can all hit a spot, even if God spoke to you on Wednesday and you're on fire, you could still have pulled back today. No matter what, there's a cooling off that can come so easily. We have to die every day. Really what it is is we, we leave our first love. Brother Branham would say in, in, the, message, in the Church Age book, He's talking to the Ephesian church age book in Revelations 2.4. He quotes, Nevertheless, some, I have somewhat against you. God talking, Jesus talking to the Ephesian church ages. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. 
To understand this, Brother Branham says, you must realize that the Spirit is not speaking to the original saints at Ephesus alone, but there's a generation that happened. And as the word would come from the parents to this, to that, there was a cooling off that began to happen. And Brother Branham says this, he describes what happens when you leave your first love. And it's the most striking, convicting, some of the lines that have struck me. The fervent desire to please God, the passion to know his word, the cry for reaching out in the spirit all begins to fade. And instead of that, church being on fire with the fire of God, it has cooled off and become a little, I'll say a little, become a bit formal. That is what was happening back there to the Ephesians. They were getting a bit formal. The abandonment to God was dying out. That feeling of being abandoned to God, no matter what you do, I'm going to go do it. That was dying out. And the people weren't too careful about what God thought of them as they began to be careful about what the world thought of them. That second generation coming on, just like Israel, they demanded a king to be like the other nations. And when they did that, they rejected God. But they did it anyway. That's the history of the church. When the church, when it thinks more of conforming to the world than instead of conforming to God, it isn't too long until you see them stop doing things they used to, start doing things they wouldn't, and start doing things they wouldn't do initially. This is, the, this is what happens when we cool off. They change their manner of dress, their attitudes, and their behavior. They get lax. That is what Ephesus means, relaxed and drifting. Brother Branham says, we can have great crowds, but no revival. And the angel of the Lord, 1951, we're getting people to come up maybe and stagger along and confess and go back. But what we need is an old-fashioned breaking up, tearing down, rooting out revival that starts in every home and sweeps through the city and they close all the bootleg joints. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? And everything else and straighten the thing up. That's a revival. See, not just walking up and making a confession and going back. It's no revival. That's just a form. It's a lukewarm condition. We need a real revival, and God help us to have it. He says, when you see the crowds gathering, that doesn't just mean revival. That's just a gathering. But I believe we have a gathering tonight, but I believe. But a revival is when people get really right with God. You want a revival, repent. <laughs> you want a revival, let go of yourself. You want a revival, die out. And pray through when they get really right with God and pray through and starts a revival through the city and everything. You see, they put away sin and their iniquity. They put away their iniquity. Then turn to God, turn around and start up the road. He says, I trust it'll be that way in this city. I remember, and I, I, I stay there for a little bit, and we might talk, I may, might say the word lukewarm a whole lot, I'll say that. But I remember the time in my life, and I, I, I truly don't know the answer, I'll just be honest, I truly don't know the answer of when I got the Holy Ghost. I don't know. I, I've tried to pin it down. I don't know. All I know is I don't remember the day I was physically born either, but I'm here. But I remember a day that I got down on an altar, and I'd been at many altars before, and God had done many things for me, and God had taken me, but there was things that I couldn't beat on my own. And I remember a time at a camp in, in British Columbia, and why I say that is we don't want to go to an altar and keep going back. We don't want to keep coming up for prayer here, and it didn't matter by Sunday night that you were at prayer Sunday night. We don't want to live that kind of back-and-forth yo-yo life. 
We can't do that. There's no time left to do that. And it's completely miserable to do that. I know. I know what it's like. But I remember, I say that we don't want to do that, but I say this. I remember a time where I went to an altar. It was at a BC camp. And I remember staying there until the tent got cold and there was one deacon left. The whole place was cleared out. I think it was midnight by that point. The gravel, we were kneeling in gravel because it was an outdoor camp. I was in my good dress pants and my knees hurt. But it didn't matter because I met something that changed me like I'd never been changed before. I met something that made me different like I'd never been different before. I met something that really did something. But I want to say this. Since then, did I still have to go rededicate myself? Oh, yes. Did things still come back and want to come back into my life? And Oh, yes. But it didn't. When God would come, he would come and he'd take the clay for a while and he'd begin to work it. And then it wasn't quite there yet because a situation would come like we talked two Fridays ago. God would put you in a situation to see how you react and show you your heart and say, well, this isn't good enough yet. We're going to break it. We're going to try again. So God would break me down. I'd have to rededicate. I remember a, a, a service we took at the Nunweilers in the springtime. I talked about cutting Goliath's head off. You know where that came from? Me having to cut Goliath's head off in my life. That's where that comes from. I needed to rededicate myself again. And God did something for me that week, even then. But I come around to the spot where I'm talking about this tonight because I know, and just this week myself, I had to look back and say, God, I need to rededicate myself again. But I want to say now, I want to rededicate myself, and I have, but I want to have a fight like I've never had before. I want to have a drive like I've never had before, where I can pursue the enemy like I've never had before, where there's nothing left of the world, but that I can fight and fight and fight. But that altar experience where you get up and you're actually different on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the next month and the next month is a real thing. Will you have moments and will you have things that go sideways and will you have to rededicate? Yeah. But that change is available. Brother Branham says in the message, Why Christ Speaks. So we're trusting tonight, if there be some inside or out who has not yet accepted Christ, that this will be the night that something will be said or done that will wake you up to the place that you know you need Christ. And then if you just accepted him as your personal Savior and have not received the Holy Ghost, I trust that tonight you will receive it. I see some of the tabernacle folks here. He was preaching, I think, in another city, and there were some of his own folks. I'm going to say this about the big sister. See, one thing that the tabernacle needs up there at our church, at the tabernacle at Jeff, is a rededication and a refilling of the Holy Ghost. Right, everybody get down at the altar and pray until they get a renewing of the Holy Ghost. The whole church filled with the power of God. That's what we need. David said one day unto me, said one day, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now he had not lost his salvation, so I want to be clear. You might be walking with God and still see iniquity come in and other things. That doesn't mean you're not saved. That doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Ghost. But you might lose the joy of your salvation. What does joy have to do with anything? Well, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're not happy in the Lord, you have no strength. If you, don't, if you don't have the joy coming out, there's no strength to live it because you've lost your first love. You've lost your joy for God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When it comes to a place that I can't enjoy my religion, Brother Branham says, my salvation, there's something wrong somewhere. 
That's why I love Brother Max Sunday night. What a blessing. Where we can enjoy our religion. Where we can stand up. Where we can shout and we can sing. Because God has done something for us. One of them said, taste and see that the Lord of good is good. It tastes like honey in the rock. Oh, I'm so glad to have tasted that. The Lord is good. What we don't want to do is keep the cycle of revival and death even in our own lives. We don't want to keep having to go back and forth. Our generation is called to be in a revival. And I want to stop for a moment and we'll talk about how we, our revival isn't so much tongues or healings, though that can happen. But they say that our revival is a word revival. And I'll say, what does that mean, though? Because I hear, I'll hear the term word revival, and it could sound really mysterious. It could sound like, well, that they're talking about the thunders and the vials and the word, and what does that mean? Jesus Christ lived on earth in a human body. How many has watched that series, The Chosen? I'll just say it was really well done. What they did such a good job of showing is how human and yet God Jesus was and how human the disciples were. They didn't always get along, if you notice that. And yet they were all called of God, and they were all on the same team, and they were all in the same fight. Matthew was a little different. Someone else was a little different. Someone didn't like someone. But they showed that how human Jesus was, and yet how much God he was, that he could joke and laugh and have a good time, and yet God would anoint him. And the miracle was a miracle. I'll leave that alone. Jesus Christ lived on earth, and all he was doing was manifesting what God in his mind. So God thought, if I saw this type of situation, this is how I'd react. Jesus was the life. So when he showed up to a funeral to preach it, (laughs) death didn't stand around. That was an expression of God. When Jesus would reach a situation where there was sin, well, there was about three different reactions he had. He'd forgive it, there'd be a deliverance maybe, or he would condemn it if there was no repentance. But that was an expression of what God had. He was in a word revival. He was living the word for his day. So when the word comes to us, all it wants us to do is, we're going to be Jesus on earth. How do you live? How do you react? Do you walk with Jesus? Do you walk with God like Enoch walked? That's what a rapture-ready walk will be, is that expression of, what is a word revival? It's not so much the mysteries. It is, but all that is is unlocking what Jesus Christ is to you. Jesus Christ, like Brother Max was preaching, wants to get married to you. It's a love story. It's something beyond just simply words on a page. It's, the, it's not mysterious. All it is, the word revival that we have is the life of Jesus Christ coming and living out of us. So someone would see them and say, oh, they're a Christian, and they're a real one, and they live it. I'll tell you, when Christ becomes inside of you and a word revival comes through you, you'll start living and overcoming things you could have never done on your own. And you'll get excited. And that'll be a revival. And they'll be shouting. And they'll be singing. And there'll be something that will live out of you because you know that you couldn't do this on your own. I know when I got out of that altar in BC and what happened to me and suddenly I was overcoming things that I could have never done on my own. And I sat there and this is supernatural. I know I can't beat this on my own. And I am and I'm not even thinking about it. That's God. I wonder if we could turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. 
I want to talk a little, an, an, an illustration of, a, of a, a backslidden spot for people to get to, but also what God can do when he begins to rebuild. And it came to pass, this is the story of Ahab and Elijah, and we know that the children of Israel had their many ups and downs, and they had their good kings and their bad kings, and this was, I think, among the worst, if not the worst, king. And yet, what was sent out to match it was among the best prophets, one of the most notable, Elijah himself. And at that same time, God, yeah, he sent out a major anointed prophet. Now, Israel was in drought. They were completely, the, 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 the water was, had been cut off. There was, I think there was, Elijah stomped in there and said, no rain, not even dew will fall until I call for it. And we know the story. What's interesting is once there was a turning to God, then the rain could come. And it came to pass, verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, art thou he that troubleth Israel? And this would make a great movie scene as well. He says, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy fathers. Are you the guy that's bothering us? No, you're the guy that's bothering us in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. God wants to do something and he wants to show everyone who's God. And the prophets of Baal, 450, and, all the, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto the Mount Carmel. And he asked them a question that I'll ask us all tonight. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. So they're laying out the terms of how this was going to work. And I will dress the other bullock, lay it on the wood, and put no fire under, and ye call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock, which was given unto them, and they dressed it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon, and this, again, I love, I love Elijah's approach to it. It's good to do this to the devil, I think. That Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's talking, or he's pursuing, or he's in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth, and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves with knives and lancelets till the blood gushed out. You talk about sincere. You talk about people that were dedicated to their god, and I would say showed up quite a bit of faith that this was going to work. <laughs> and it came to pass, and they had their faith in the wrong thing. And it came to pass, when midday was past, they prophesied until the offering of the evening sacrifice, and there was neither voice, nor any answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. What does it take to get to a spot where you're broken down 
and then begin to rebuild? What's that middle piece? What is that spot that you need to do? The Bible says if our hearts condemn us, we don't have any confidence before God. The Bible says if you have ought against your brother, God can't forgive you. And if we have something wrong in our hearts, there's something wrong in our hearts. We can't, we can't approach God in our hearts with sin or condemnation for someone else. So what's the spot that we need to hit? A repentance and a making right. If there's some reason why we become cold and lukewarm and out of it, it's because there's, we've got to search our heart. What's wrong? What went wrong? Where am I, am I against someone? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Is there someone against me that I need to work something out? What is that? That's really hard to do. You ever said something or done something and to go back and apologize? It's really hard to do. But sometimes you need to do it. Have you ever done something before God but you just kind of let it go? Maybe you told a half-truth, but you really should go make it right. That's, a, that's one I found myself in where you're sitting there and you're man, did I say that right? Should I just, just clear that up? Is there something? Those are the things that can begin to grow a root. And sometimes it's bigger than, and there's no bigger or smaller sin, but sometimes it's small and hidden, and sometimes it's big and you know it. And it's like an elephant to go face. Those are the things that can get you so you don't feel like you can go forward. You can't worship God. The purpose of a sacrifice was to pay for your sins so you could worship God. And you can't worship God with something wrong. There's just, it won't work. That's just not the way God has laid it out. We get that spot where we're just lukewarm or maybe we have a pet sin or something we keep going to, something we can't break out of. Maybe we have a, a, a pain, there's a, there's a term that you addicted to the pain, people will say. Maybe you get to a spot where that thing that you do or social media is a terrible, beautiful, terrible invention. What does it do? It unlocks your brain so the dopamine will flow, the good feelings, the happy drug, in your head if you look it up. And it's literally wired in a way. And I think some of, the new, some of the new games, I think Fortnite is built in such a way that it's so addictive. And TikTok is built in a way that it's so addictive. The way that they've built the algorithms. But the dopamine goes and you feel numb. Nothing matters anymore. You go on YouTube video after video after video after video after video after video. I know, I've done it. And you feel numb. You don't want to face the day or the problem or something went sideways. You go to whatever. You know, Brother Branham says this. Simple sentence that I've never gotten out of my head since I've heard it. Your comfort is your religion. Where do you go for comfort? Your comfort is now your religion. We can get to that spot where we just get numb or we turn away from the word of God. It's really hard. I'll say when you're down in the dumps, it's hard to turn to God. That's the moment where you have to pull that flesh all the way over to go read your Bible. That's hard to do. I know. I've been there. We still get that way. That's hard to do. We hold back. We don't enter in like we ought to. Or when we enter in, it's just something's not quite the same. We're in church, but we know that we're going to go out and we won't have any deep effect like it used to have. 
We'll go back to this story of Elijah because I don't want to leave it here at all because there's a way out. This is a real feeling because I know I've been there, but there's another side to it because I know I've been there. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. Sorry, I think I jumped ahead of something. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And this is what he began to do. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. There was pieces over there, and there was pieces over there. There was, I think, 12 stones that had to come together. 12 is the number of worship to make a spot where there could be worship. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, of whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench round about the altar, about as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order. We have to start to put our lives in order. And he put the bullock and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time, showing that this is now going to be God moving. If fire falls and consumes this, this is now God. Because there's water on it. There's no way I could have lit a fire underneath and hit it at this point. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Something about that ministry of Elijah, turning a heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I wonder if we could stop there for a second on that verse. The fire of God fell. When the fire of God falls, there's something that happens. You can see that there was a process where people were torn down and they, they, they had turned away from God and now they've been judged. God had built up the altar. We've, we've taken our lives. We started to rededicate and the fire of God fells. And what they do next, in the next verse, in verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal and let none of them escape. When there was a rededication and the fire fell, suddenly there was no mercy for sin. Suddenly there was no mercy for the devil. Suddenly it was time to fight. And suddenly it was time to say, I'm taking back what's mine. I'm going for what's mine. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. I think about, and I'm switching gears and moving around, and I don't know what, pray for me, I don't know what I'm sometimes, what to say. Let me say this. I might be just moving quick, and maybe we'll be done pretty quick. But I think we've all come to that spot where we've been cold. We've let things numb us. I want to say tonight is a night where we can just stop and rededicate. And say, oh God, I want to truly repent. There's a difference between remorse and repentance. You know the difference? One doesn't work. You'll go back to the same thing. Feeling bad for it, 
Listen to Brother Ron Spencer's message from Sunday, a time for repentance. Remorse doesn't work. Feeling bad for yourself, regretting it, what you did, doesn't work. But a true repentance and a true turning and a moment where you come to God and say, Oh God, I want to give you my heart again. I want to give you my soul again. I want to give you my life again. I want to live for you. I want to let you live through me. I can't do it on my own. We can hit the, we're in this, a time and a season as a message. And I want, to, I want to look at all of you as a whole, not just the individual now. We're a body. I think in the book of Joel, he saw an army rising up. I remember years ago, Brother Ed praying with us in the back. I think with me in the back before our service. I think Brother Andrew, Brother Max hadn't even come here yet. And we were praying, let there be an Joel's army. Let there be an army of young people rise up. And that stuck with me, because I believe I'm looking at them. There's an army of young people here in this church that's rising up. Let's remember we're on the same side. Let's pull together, and let's remember what we're fighting for. You think about a coach at halftime, or the third quarter of a football game, or you think about a conductor, maybe they've just done a whole orchestra thing, and they've got to go out for their second set. And maybe the conductor comes in and gives it, a moment where he says something to the group. Okay, we've got to work on this and we've got to look at that. Or the, the coach of a football team, or maybe you're going out to battle. And the, the military commander comes in and says, okay, everyone, this is what we've got to do. I'm not any of those things, but God put it on my heart to say this. We're at the end, almost. Let's fight like we've never fought before. Let's show the devil no mercy. If there's something in your life that you need pulled back, go take it back. If there's something, we can have so many things. I'll ask you this thing. What is worth fighting for right now to you? What do you need from God? What do you want from God? The Bible says delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So what do you need from God? We'll do that part. We're gonna, we'll rededicate. We'll turn to God. But what do you need from God now? Maybe we're at a spot where we need to still rededicate. But Look, look ahead. What do you need from God? Is, is sin holding you back? Is depression holding you back? That's a real thing. Depression, suicide, those things are so real and they cloud the mind and they can turn young people and old people upside down and cause them to do something that Satan would want them to do. It's a real devil. Maybe there's some, you know what, this came on my mind so I'm going to say it and this will be strange to say there's things that we maybe don't even talk about very often. But did you know a young person in the message could struggle with homosexuality? Do you believe they could? I know that. You know why? Because I know of young people that have, I'll speak in general terms, that have overcome it and are different, but they've struggled with it. Do you think they could talk to anyone about that? Probably not. It's probably really awkward. But I want to say this, you can talk to someone about that. If there's something even like that that you would struggle with, Find a friend, but ultimately find God. That's a real thing. It's a real spirit, but you don't have to stay there. Have you lost family? Maybe there's a family member that's out in the world and you want to go get them. Brother Marshall's mentioned his brother. Claim them. What's amazing in the scripture, you look at the Bible, at, or in the message, it talks about claiming them. It doesn't really say a whole lot more about how you claim them other than say, I claim them. And put faith in it. And speak the word that says, that's my inheritance. 
and then you pray, you hold on to that, and you don't let go. And God does the rest. It's his battle. It's his fight. It's his thing. Do you need a job? I know, I know Sister Hannah was talking about she needs a job. I've been there. I've been unemployed a couple of times. You know what I found one time? Mark was sitting with me in a car one day, and I think we went to the river. And I told him, Mark, this week I'm going to get a job, because it struck me in my heart that I needed to confess it, that I needed to take a step forward and say, okay, I'm going to get a job. And I said, this week I'm going to get a job. John, did you get a job that week? Yes and no. I didn't have a job offer that week, but that week God worked on me and got me to reach out to someone. And I met them on the Friday, the last possible day pretty much of that week, that introduced me to someone else, that introduced me to someone else that got me the job. Does the confession work? That was God. I got a job that week. I didn't quite know it, and it was still in potential form. But we have to start to push forward, push the boundary, take your footsteps. Footsteps are possession. A revival. The same amount of water, Brother Branham would say, is in that river or in that lake. When it's in revival, all it's doing is everything's just shaking up, and the trash is getting kicked out. Brother Brandon would say a revival isn't even so much about new converts. It's about reviving what's already here. We can have a revival. We can have a revival tonight if our hearts are open and if we're willing to say, oh God, I lay everything else aside. I want to get in one accord with my brothers and my sisters. If there's any ought against anyone, let me make it right. Let them make it right. But let's pull together and let's look to you. Brother Branham, or 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins... The power of repentance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The repentance, there's a promise that comes with it that not only are you forgiven, but you're cleansed from it. So let's go to a full, real repentance, a real turning to God and say, oh God, I don't want any of those things anymore. You might have to forgive someone. That's a huge thing when a bitterness that comes in or when a grudge comes in or when something happens. That's really hard. And sometimes I've found in my own self that I might not even be thinking about it so often or it's not maybe doesn't consume me. But when I see them, then I think of that. And that might be a sign to me that maybe I haven't forgiven them yet. Maybe I didn't let it go. We want to be totally clear before God. That can hinder your prayers. That can hinder your walk with God. I'll say this as well. If you come to an altar one day, if you come to repent to God, you're going to have to fight. There's a fighting somehow that comes with it. Like I said, if you're feeling out of it and you want to go read your Bible, it's really hard to get from there to there. There's a fighting and a push. Fight to live. Brother Branham said in the message, how can I overcome? Overcoming is keeping life in you. And that's a fight. It's a struggle. There's a fight to become free. There's a struggle for freedom. But when you're free, you're free. Brother Branham talks about breaking through the sound barrier. When a plane will come up to that sound barrier, come up to that certain speed when it's about to break through, and it's rattling, and it's everything, and the pins are popping out. And then they break through, and it's unlimited speed, he would say. Suddenly, he's broken through, and there's something that's happened. Brother Branham would also say in the message, a, a total deliverance. How many want a total deliverance? He would tell a, a little story about how he told a lie to someone and how he couldn't pray for someone after. I don't believe that story in the message 
how can I be totally delivered, is an accident. We want to look at our lives. Brother Branham says in the message, why Christ speak? What ought it to do? We need a repentance. We need a revival. I'm saying myself, he says, I need a shaking. I need something. And I don't know where to go. I want to say one more thing, or a couple more things. Satan needs to be under our feet. We need to live in a way that we despise the devil and we don't give him any respect. Not that we would, there's a scripture that talks about saying the Lord rebuke thee and not us and different things, but where we don't hold him in a spot where we fear him. We're not meant to fear the devil. We're not meant to, Brother Branham would say, knock down to the devil. Brother Branham says in the message, or sorry, sorry, the Psalms, 18. I wonder if we could quickly read this. Two things in Psalms and one quote, and I'm finished. Psalms 18, 28 to 42. And I want to, this approach, this is the approach we ought to have with the devil. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. This is our God. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hind's feet and setteth me upon high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken in my arms. We need to have a fight and, a, and an unction and, and a gumption is the old word maybe. Something that says we've got to fight the devil. We've got to have a, uh, I, don't, I wish I could get it out like it's on my heart. Let's push. Let's fight. Why do we lay down so easily? Why do I lay down so easily? I roll over and I play dead. When the devil comes along and I say, oh, I lost again. No. God, is, God says, thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation, saying, saying to God, and thy right hand hath holden me up. And thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. No mercy. I have wounded them that were not able to rise. This is merciless. They are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried and there was none to save them. Even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them as the dust before the wind and I cast them out as the dirt in the streets." That's the devil to us. You think, uh, Psalms 92, verse 7. This scripture jumped out at me, and I, I, I love it. When the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, O Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. And this is the one. Mine eyes shall also see my desire on mine enemies. You ever have a desire that I wish I could send that devil back to hell? One day you will. 
I believe one day I have this beautiful image in my mind of the devils that have tormented me. And I'm standing over the pit of hell. And I'm pushing that one in. And I'll push that one in. And we'll, they'll be done for all eternity. And we can stand over there and we can look down and see the desires that we have on our enemies. And my ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Satan is defeated. And one day, I, I can't wait for that day. That'll be a brief moment, and then we'll just never think about him again. Yeah, you ever think about the, I don't even think about the devil. That will be a time. But one day, there'll be a moment where they'll, he'll be over that pit of hell. And all of the torment, the depression... The suicide, the lust, the pride, the sickness, the, the family struggles, all of those things, we can push that off to hell and we can go to heaven. Amen. And we can live with God. But now is the time to fight. Now is the time to know that he's already defeated. The back of the book says he's already defeated. So let's bring our hearts to God. Let's dedicate ourselves to him. Let's have a fire again. That, that calling out in the spirit, that love of God, that worship that we need to have, that fire that we wouldn't just be halfway in our hearts. In worship, that we wouldn't be halfway, that we would think about what we're singing, that we would enter into what we're singing, that we would get into the word, that we would get into what, what the minister is saying. Brother Bradham says this, and this is, this is the last quote. Second last quote, because there's one more. The word Webster says about the word restore, he says, to bring back to the former owner or to bring back to a former state of condition. And if a claim is made on something to make that restoration, Brother Branham says, you can enforce it to take it back to its right place. To restore means to bring back. We've, I believe we all meet those moments where we've lost something where something's wrong, something's been stolen from us, something the devil has taken from us, or someone has hurt us, or there's been something that's not right. Like if someone stole some property and they're holding the property captive, then you can go to the law and go to this person, and the law forces enforces this person to restore this property back to its natural owner, to its liable first state. Enforcement. Brother Branham says, oh, what a text. How I'd like to have two days on that, enforce. But the law of the Spirit of God is to force Satan to give up that which he has unrightfully, deceitfully taken from God. Souls of men, he took them from God. Souls of women, children, sickness of the body, he placed upon people where God made them in his image to be like him. And the, children, and the church is given the legal rights by the Bible to take the Holy Spirit and to enforce it upon them. Branham says, now I'm beginning to feel religious. Now we have a law, the law of life in us. The only thing you have to do, you're made and born, placed in the body of Christ as sons and daughters of God. He says, you don't have to knock down to the devil. We've got a law. That's the law of the Holy Spirit. The only thing you have to do, you know what to do? Let go and let God. You keep fighting at it, see, and it won't never work. But when you let go, that's the real fight, is to die to self. When you let go and let God, see, if the fish said, well, I'll catch my breath real good and I breathe up a little oxygen in me and then I'll go back down into the, into the sea, he can't do that. He'll burst open. If the bird says, I'll see how fast I can run down there and maybe I'll take off. No, he can't do that. He'll fall down. 
You've got to know how to control how that law can control him. And the same way it is for us. It isn't what we fight and pull and hurry. Oh, if I don't get this or if I don't get that. It's not that. In a rededication to God, it's saying, God, I'm sorry for the way I've been. I'm sorry for the way I've let myself go. I want to turn to you. I let go of myself. You just let go and let God, and then he takes you to your healing. This is good. He takes you to your healing. He takes you to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or anything that he's promised, he takes you to it. And any claim that he's given is yours by letting go and letting God. I wonder if we could all stand and musicians can come. How many wants to rededicate themselves to God tonight? Who wants to say, oh God, I want to lay down all my indifference, all my lukewarmness, all of those things, that lack of fight that I have, that lack of edge that I'll have, that, that I need to have to overcome the enemy. Maybe there's some rebuilding we need to do. Maybe there's something that you need to make right. But God is here. Like I said at the start, 15 minutes or less, two minutes, in the presence of God can change your whole life. Two minutes of you opening up, Letting go and letting God begin to work can make all the difference. You play some, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Brother Branham says, and maybe we all bow our heads, this feels good to me. He says, to know that it's the truth. It's not a Santa Claus story. It's the truth of a living God. He says, do you believe it with all your heart? Do you believe that we need a nest-stirring time Need a Holy Ghost again? Do, we, do you believe that we need a fresh outpouring of His Spirit? That the church needs a rebaptizing again? Do you believe with all your heart? Let's start something right now, will you? I'll say, will, let's start something right now. Are you ready to get under the wind? Are you ready to do it? Do you believe it? Let's stand on our feet. How many people here hasn't got the Holy Ghost? How many people here hasn't got the Holy Ghost? Come here just a minute, he says. Come out of the balcony. This is nesting time. Let's let these old loose feathers out. We can't heal or have a real healing service till we get these feathers straightened out. God will never take us up there and drop us so that we can fly until we get these feathers out of us. Come now, everyone that wants, under the power of the Spirit, come just a minute and stand around this altar. He says, I believe God is going to pour out the Holy Spirit here tonight. And I'm not asking you to come to an altar or anything, but open up your heart. He says, I believe that the Holy Spirit is come tonight. Is going to, God is going to pour out the Holy Ghost right here tonight and shake this thing. Take the eagles out like that. He says, I want to see a revival that's here. I want to see every one of these churches on fire, the power of God falling. He says, if you're a sinner, come too. This is the same that they had on the day of Pentecost. This is the real power of God. This is it. There's a fountain filled with blood. Brother Branham says, in modern events made clear by prophecy, if you have need of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you have need of a rededication, a new life, your pastor won't despise you. He'll love you for it. Just give yourself completely to God tonight. Amen if we'd pray. Lord Jesus, we just come in this moment and in your presence, oh God. And 
Lord, thank you for what you do in our lives, oh God. Thank you for how you've called us and how you've brought us this far. And Lord, I want to say, if there's anyone that needs more of you, come and meet their need, oh God. If there's someone that needs to meet you, meet them tonight, oh God. Let there be an open heart and a moving of the word of God and the spirit of God. If someone needs to rededicate themselves, Lord, let there be a rededication and a refilling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and give us that fight, that courage to go forward, that courage to stand up and, 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 and say, boo devil, boo devil, boo devil. Lord God, let us not turn again until our enemies, the ones that haunt us, the ones that afflict us, are consumed and that they're turned to dust and that they're the ones that are going to hell. Lord, we want to give ourselves to you. Lord, create in us a clean heart. Lord, I pray that you take all the words that were spoken and felt broken up. It didn't feel like maybe the way I wanted to get it out. But Lord, I give it to you, all these things. And I pray that you would work and you would move in whatever you'd want to do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. renew 